Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we teach you to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And today we'll discuss who can teach or preach or administer the sacraments and what gives them the authority to do so. We'll be talking about this as we take a look at the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 14 about order in the church. And to help us discuss this, we have a cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians. In studio today, we have layman Peter Slayton and Pastor Merit Dembski. And I'm your host coming to you from beautiful Wine Hill in southern Illinois, Pastor Sean Smith. Welcome, brothers, to the show. You ready to discuss this much debated yet important topic? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> With much trepidation? I don't know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, and, and maybe why don't you guys go ahead and start us there before we even get into it a little bit. Kind of what's behind things? Why, why is this so debated? Why are people so kind of worried about what this means? Well, that's that's a good question to start off with. I think the the worry comes, I'll, I'll speak to myself as somebody who did not grow up Lutheran. I think part of the worry is that if we don't talk about this in the right way, then we are actually seeking to undermine the office of the holy ministry. Um, and and I, I'll say for myself, right up front, coming from evangelical background to becoming a Lutheran, the office of the ministry is one of the most comforting doctrines that, that Scripture gives us, that there are these men who have been placed before us to give us that outside ourselves comfort to our to our consciences. I mean, we've, we've talked about consoling consciences for the last, what, year and a half that we've been discussing this. It keeps coming up, you know, these, these terrified consciences. And the office of the ministry is one of those things that God has given us to comfort those terrified consciences. So we do need to be careful how we discuss it, because I know some of the things we say can be heard in a way that might people might think we're trying to get rid of it. And as a former evangelical, man, I do not want to do that because it's awesome. <laughs> well, and maybe even as a layman too, right? I mean, you're, you're speaking well, yeah. as a layman and you're saying, yeah, we don't want to get rid of it. So exactly. that's, yeah, good you point. know, the, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, an, it's an office in an institution. So oftentimes people talk about church as a movement or a thing that just kind of is coming and going, but it is something that was instituted by Christ. And it is something that has offices with responsibilities and trying to figure out what that looks like and how to properly discuss it is a big question and a big thing that we need to discuss. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, to, to kind of set up our discussion here, I actually want to back up because it's just one line. And so it's so easy for us to do back up and actually read what the uh, Augsburg Confession itself says. And this is what Article 14, also titled Order in the Church There in the Augsburg Confession, 
says there. This is what uh, the princes presented to the Holy Roman Emperor as the Lutheran Confession of Faith as it comes to the order in the church. It says, Our churches teach that no one should publicly teach in the church or administer the sacraments without a rightly ordered call. And you would think that one line would be so simple, so straightforward, that we wouldn't have much debate about this at all. And yet there has been much debate, much disagreement, uh, even still going on today, about what that means. And I, I think that most of the discussion tends to hover around, what does this mean to be rightly called? In the Latin, it says, rite vocatus. What, what does rightly called mean? So go ahead, brothers. What, what do you want to say about that? Well, I, I'm glad that we're starting off with this because that, that is the $64,000 question plus inflation. However, we adjust that for inflation. $4 million. $4 million question. Um, and and it's, it's a big question because Melanchthon, as far as I'm aware, doesn't actually define this. So the historical context for me is extremely important in this because you can't take this as a standalone proverb. Uh, let's put it that way. In the same way with Scripture, you don't take a, a well, here, the, the classic ridiculous example is Judas hung himself. And then you flip to the next verse that strikes your fancy and says, go and do likewise. It's like, no, we don't do that with Scripture. That's utterly ridiculous to take Scripture and say, I can take this standalone phrase and it has meaning within itself that I can just kind of moral mold to whatever I'm bringing to it. Well, we can't do that with this statement either, especially when all we've got in the Augsburg Confession itself is one sentence. And then as we go to the apology, it's really not that much more. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't define it that much more for us. Yeah, I mean, we don't have, uh, as we talked about in some of our pre-show, just talking and getting ready and stuff, that there isn't a scripture reference in this section here. And so, you know, what's the actual discussion? Is it about a, a point of scriptural debate or something that was going on in the church? Because as we say so often, it's theology and what happens in the church never happens in a vacuum. You know, nothing yeah. ever happens that uh, someone decides, hey, you know what, we should just say this. No, instead, something is said because they are pushing against something. They're reacting to something. And so uh, and we see that. I always use this example of the Nicene Creed. I wonder what they were really having a tough time with when the Nicene Creed got, you know, uh, put together. Well, and you get all this about Jesus, very God, a very God, you know, light of light, very God, a very God, begotten, not made, being of one, you know. And yeah. it's, oh, they must have been talking about what who Jesus really was and trying to really nail that down. And so trying to, uh, as Peter said, get into that context of what was it that they were actually pushing against, that they were trying to uh, respond to, and then therefore having pushback against that they had to respond to it in the apology to try to articulate it. How do we, uh, how do we understand that historical context? I, I like the phrase, the we don't do theology in a vacuum. Another phrase related to that that I have found helpful is, and you have to think through this one a little bit, all theology is negative. Uh, in the sense that I'm, I, like you said, we're responding to something. There, there is an accusation being thrown out. Maybe there is um, a, a heresy being confessed, and the response as a theologian is, no, that's not what we believe. This is what we believe. And, and so in that sense, when we say 
all theology is negative. Well, it's because we're constantly responding to what we don't actually believe and then saying, here's what we do actually believe. So that was my big question as we're preparing for this coming into it is, what is the actual accusation against the Lutherans? What are they being accused of that this is their simple response? Well, and I've I've thought about that a lot of times that uh, people will say that, uh, well, Lutherans in particular are combative, you know, when we talk about theology. And yeah, we do strive to say, here's what we believe. But a lot of times when you're having a discussion with someone, there is baggage there of what is being taught and believed and confessed that you have to unpack and figure out. So especially when you talk about what is pastor, what is it when we're talking in scripture about elder? What is it when we're talking about rightly ordered? You know, what mm-hmm. are we actually talking about? And so if you're talking to someone who has none of that background, you're automatically going to say, well, we're not saying this and we're not saying this, but we're saying this, Yeah. you know? And so that discussion is, and automatically it sounds negative because it sounds like you're yelling at the person like, it's not that, it's not that. No, I'm not trying <laughs> to yell. Why are you so mean? Sorry. <laughs> Telling me everything I can't believe. <laughs> I know, right? But, but um, you know, this whole vacuum thing is a is a huge deal that we're you know uh as, as a kid i always was like not in a vacuum like you vacuum the living room you know and i was like oh right vacuum nothing and, no but, theology yeah. is not done in a vacuum yeah. well of course not that's for cleaning <laughs> no there's always stuff influencing it so well sometimes bad theology needs to be vacuumed up right cleaned up oh there that's we go true. <laughs> the metaphor still works uh, excellent <laughs> I wish I'd have thought or, of that, then I'd have felt smarter or. for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I want to bring us back here. I like where you guys are going with this and asking right at the, the get-go here, what is this about? All right. And so I'll, I'll go ahead and throw that question to you guys. Talk about what is it that we're dealing with here? What What is it that Melanchthon and the Lutheran confessors are addressing specifically here? And what is it that maybe they're not addressing and is not really up for debate? Well, I'll I'll start with my just reading the apology section for today. There's a couple lines that help me in my non-professional academic <laughs> vocation, I guess. Um, that that being said, I'm I'm not a professional academic, and I don't have all the background and the study going into this. So I'm just taking here's the text we've been given for today. What what can we draw from what we've got? And there are two lines that to me seem to be the important ones. Uh, Halfway through paragraph 24, Melanchthon says, About this subject we have often testified in this assembly that it is our greatest desire to keep church orders and ranks, even though they have been made by human authority. So Melanchthon is expressing, once again, we're not trying to do anything different. He's not bringing scripture into it. Later on in 28... Paragraph 28, he says, Furthermore, we want to declare again that we will gladly keep church and canonical government as long as the bishops stop attacking our churches. So if I'm taking just the text here and, you know, in between it, I picked those two out because he doesn't really expand on that a whole lot in the article itself. So as I'm looking at this, I would assume, based on my reading, that the the controversy, the the accusation, what's going on is that the Roman Catholics, the adversaries, seem to be saying, you don't have pastors because you're not following church orders. Um, I'm assuming that's the, the Episcopal succession and laying on of hands from bishop to pastor and all of that, which, interestingly enough, 
until this point in the church, that was like standard practice. I, I would, you guys can feel free to correct me if you've got better history on this, which is entirely likely that up until this point, the way you became a pastor was through the succession, the laying on of hands of other pastors who had come in the line of other pastors and there are bishops and that whole thing was in place. And the Lutherans are basically saying, we still want to do that. We're not saying that's wrong. We actually like that. That's a good thing. Yay. But you're forcing us to recant our doctrine in order to be ordained in that manner, in order to be called in that manner. And we can't recant what we what we believe and still be faithful pastors. So we're now in a bind. We want to be called the way church pastors have always been called. And I, my best guess is that's what Melanchthon means when he says rightly called. We, we want to do that, but we can't because in order to do that, you're going to tell us that we can't confess what we are currently confessing. That's, that's my best stab at what's actually going on here. I'm going to let see if Pastor Smith has some ideas before I start speaking immediately. <laughs> well, I thought the host's job was to ask the experts the the questions here, but no, I'll gladly. Oh, throw but my Peter Hill is off for the week, so <laughs> yeah. who are we going to ask now? <laughs> oh wait, no. hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I I think I am in agreement uh, with with uh, what you said there. Well, I I know I'm in agreement with what you said there, uh, Layman Slayton. Is that uh, you know I. I, I boil it down to this. The issue is not about having the pastoral office as the ones who are called to teach, preach, and administer the sacraments. I think the Lutherans and the Roman Catholic Church are on the same page that we should have the pastoral office. This is instituted by Christ. This comes to us in God's Word. And I think the lack of Scripture references pointing to the place of the pastoral office uh, – points to this idea that that's not the issue that we're wrestling with here. I think the issue is, what is the order that one becomes a pastor? And, and what, what is it that we can know and trust that my pastor uh, or anyone who gets up there and preaches and teaches and administers the sacraments has the authority to do this? What's the order that that comes about? And so I think here, especially in the Concordia Reader's Edition, I apologize uh, just before coming on the show today, I had the thought I should really check some of the other translations of the Book of Concord and see uh, what they do with the naming of this article and so forth. But I had a funeral and I just I didn't get a chance to do that. Um, so maybe you guys can, can chip in with that there. But at least in the Concordia Reader's Edition, I think the, the name for this article, or in the church is spot on. The issue is here is what is the order for the church to have pastors? And I think that's what they're really wrestling with here. And, and to that point, if we've talked before that Luther was not, and the Lutherans as a whole, you know, were not attempting to create a branch of another you know, denomination of Christianity. They were just saying, hey, let's get back to what scripture teaches. If that is the case, then if you have people who are the bishops, who are the ones who are, they're the only way that you can have a pastor is if you have a bishop come in and lay on hands and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And if they're no longer behaving as the church and preaching and teaching and confessing what the church teaches and preaches and confesses, then we've got a problem. Then how do you get more pastors? If all of a sudden, yeah. you know, kind of the, the, the church, I don't know, quote unquote, gets hijacked, you know, like that you're not able to get to that succession. You're not able to have pastors being brought in without, uh, as uh, Peter said, uh, 
recanting what they believe scripture to be, then how do you get more pastors if you're saying that what's going on is not what's supposed to be going on, you know? Yeah, I, I think the, the lack of scripture here is not a count against this article and by any means. I, th- I think it's, it is a good point. Pastor Smith, you already brought this up, but to bring it up again, that what's what's at stake here, the controversy is not what a pastor is and what a pastor does be- between the Lutherans and the, the adversaries, the Roman Catholics. The controversy is simply, well, we're pointing out an abuse here uh, in, in, this, in this particular instance. I, my struggle as I'm reading through this article is I have a tendency to bring my own definitions to these terms. And so just if we go back to the Augsburg confession itself and that single sentence where you just read that and it's like, okay, that is crystal clear. It means what it means. And there's what else can it mean? There it is. It's just right there. And I have a very hard time separating out my own definition that I bring to the words there versus what scripture actually tells us. And then, as we've been talking here, what the actual controversy is, because the main point being, if if I'm asking a question that that text wasn't intended to answer, but I can make it be the answer to my question, I'm going to go off in a very weird direction, potentially, with with this article, does that make sense? What I'm what well, I'm saying? I'm there? just thankful that no one else wrestles with that. I'm just glad that that's a. <laughs> it's just me. That's, a, that's just a you thing. This is a good think? thing that it's yeah. limited to my yeah. own concupiscence no because that would else... be bad if the rest of the world also yeah. experienced this same sort of thing. Yeah, no one else pulls yeah. in their own ideas and shoves it into scripture <laughs> or anything else. You know, so I'm very thankful. That... Do, we, do we need like a sarcasm <laughs> background music? For oh no, the lack of sad? laughter after what I say is oh okay, is good enough. yeah. <laughs> We don't need a special sound. We just need the lack of sound. You know? <laughs> just silence. Wow. No, okay. But, no, but, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Gibbs at the semin- at Concordia and Seminary in St. Louis, um, someone, I don't know how long ago it was, had given him a uh, hermeneutical harness. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I, nope, you know? have not okay. seen that one. So it's a, uh, and this doesn't work very Describe well. Describe it to air. me because we're not on camera. Okay, let me use my hands to lay this out for you. Hold on. <laughs> No, it was a, a just a, a plank of wood, and it had some uh, metal pieces with uh, like the eye pieces on the top that you could put cable through. And it was just a joke that someone gave to Doctor Gibbs as like an exegetical person who's like always in scripture. And it was supposed to be that you'd you'd put this little like uh, harness thing on your head, and someone would be on the other side with a little cable, and they'd be able to pull the harness, so it would uh, it would force your head down into the Bible, which would be. Like nice. in front of you, and so uh, he used as an example. You start in a class. spouting heresy, and it's... well, his his example was, you know, you read a text of scripture or you read something, and most people say, "I wonder what that means," and their head gazes upwards as they go, "What does that mean?" You kind but of it lean should back be, in your chair, you know, think yeah, about it. You look yeah. at the ceiling, you know, and and he said, "But really, you have to have a good friend there that can pull on the hermeneutical harness to pull your face back down into the text, so that you're looking at the context of the text." And, yeah. and and trying to figure out what the question is and what the what's trying to be answered with what's being said. And we do the same thing here. Now the you know, as we've already discussed, one of the things is it's not 
very talked about. You know, like mm-hmm. in the book itself, in the Book of Concord, you don't get a lot of context for this specific article of what was going on. If you had absolutely nothing else to read and all you had was the Book of Concord and you just read Rightly Ordered Call, okay. Okay, which means what? Yeah, I mean, you can look at you can look (laughs) at other parts, um, like the small called articles and stuff. You can look at like what they talk about about ministry there. You know, you can you can try to look through other parts of the Book of Concord and get a little bit of idea. But if you're looking at history and you're reading the the you know the resources of the time of what was being said and done and and taking in more of the historical context, suddenly it becomes a little bit clearer. Of you've got these pastors who are saying you're teaching wrong, but they can't get any pastors because there's no one that can make them pastors. Yeah. And so there's not a question of whether pastors are okay or wrong or right or anything. It's a matter of, well, can we actually have pastors if those guys won't make us pastors? <laughs> and, and as you look at the rest of the book of Concord and, and even scripture itself, most of what we get there is here's what this office is and what it does. We Scripture doesn't necessarily lay out, here is the procedure you must follow. And so in, in my own context, what, what, that, what I have to be very careful about is then defining how we do things in the LCMS, the particular one that as, as LCMS congregations and pastors, here is how we have agreed to call our pastors. This is the way we're going to do it. And taking that and saying, therefore, that's what Scripture says. And therefore, that's what the confessions say, which is, is kind of silly because part of our training is, you know, the education you can get, you can get some of that online. Well, Luther didn't have the internet, so already we're running into at least a little bit of a problem and that we can't do it the exact same way, or we aren't doing it the exact same way. Uh, that, that's kind of a ridiculous analogy, if you will, but it, the point is, I can't take, here's what's happening to me in my current context, therefore, that's what it means 500 years ago as well, especially when we're given so little information of what this was 500 years ago. Well, at the same time, I'm holding to this tension of, but there is an office of the ministry. I'm not in it as a layman. And so there are things that I should not be doing. I should not be standing up in a pulpit on Sunday preaching. That's that's not given to me to do. I should not be standing up forgiving people's sins in the public assembly as a called and ordained servant of the word, which is the phrasing we use. I definitely shouldn't be doing that. I should not be consecrating the elements and distributing them. Um, Things like that, where it's like, I'm clearly not supposed to do that. So even as we discuss this, there's some things that are very clear and others that aren't. And there's some way in which I could go from where I'm at now, where I'm not supposed to do those things to a point in my life where I actually could do those things as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I get from here to there? What lays that out for us? Well, and with a lot of our culture that we live in now, any talk of like a specific role for pastor almost sounds sinful to people at times. You talk about, oh, I'm a pastor, so I do this. And it's like, well, everyone can do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, not necessarily, you know, and I, mean, I, I technically also, I could stand up in a pulpit and speak. Right. It's physically possible for me to do that. Right. Should I? Uh, no. <laughs> right. And I, and uh, for a lot of people, I mean, I, I know so many people that, well, you know what? I feel like I'm going to open a church. And so I'm going to go set up a church. Yeah. And I'm going to start teaching. And I'm going to start preaching. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to use really good marketing and techniques. And this is what and God grow. has called me to and, do. Yeah. He'll use the same called kind of language. Right. Yeah. And, and it, there might not be any education behind it. There might not be any kind of um, uh, biblical 
anything behind it. They're just, um, uh, I've got this warm and squishy feeling that I should be a pastor and that I should use a lot of the good business tips to open a new church and make things really good. And then all of a sudden when you have a Lutheran come up and be like, there is an order to this, then it's like, <laughs> yeah, but what? You know, point me to the Bible verse that says, here's how it works. You know, like, well, but even, yeah. And we have to be careful because we can't fall off the other side of that horse and say, we have to go to a break right now. Is that what I'm being waved at here? No, we can? Okay, we'll go to a break and talk about falling off the other side of the horse later. Right. Pastor Smith, do you have anything you want to say as we go to a break? I did, but we'll just go to break. <laughs> Sorry, Join us was... right after this. There must be order in this. <laughs> Worldwide, KFUO Radio salutes our day sponsors on this Tuesday, July 3rd, 2018. Today's day sponsors are Clarence and Judith Rigdon. Today's day sponsors have made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO Radio in thanksgiving to the Lord for their children and grandchildren because they are precious to them and in honor of Clarence as they celebrate his birthday today. Once again, we say thank you to Clarence and Judith Rigdon of Pana, Illinois, today's Worldwide KFUO Day Sponsors. What does Canadian psychology professor Jordan Peterson really believe? He quotes the Bible, but does he understand it? And why is he so popular and controversial? We'll find out Tuesday on Issues Etc. from Aaron Wolf. We'll also have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on John the Baptist's call to repentance. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Dr. Benjamin Rush, a prominent physician and statesman, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence in 1776 and was appointed by President John Adams as treasurer of the U.S. Mint. Rush served as vice president of America's first Bible society and was a leading advocate for use of the Bible in public schools. In a tract widely distributed in 1830 titled A Defense of the Use of the Bible in Schools, he wrote that he preferred the Bible as a school book because the Bible contains more knowledge necessary to man in his present state than any other book in the world. After his death in 1813, Benjamin Rush became known as the father of American medicine and one of the most notable men in America. Engage with the Bible in all the impact of this book of all books.
Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters. And we are continuing with our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Mary Dembski, and myself as host, Pastor Sean Smith. And we are talking about order in the church, Article 14 in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and uh, there, there indeed must be order, and we agree about all of this. Um, I guess point of order I should have given out, since the, we, we've been talking about how this is such a, a much-debated topic, um, this is a live call-in show and write-in show. You can, you can interact with us if you have questions about this, uh, this topic uh, as we go through it. Uh, you are certainly free to do so. You can call in at one 800 or you can also email us at kfuo at kfuo.org or find us on social medias, uh, Facebook, Twitter, things like that at KFUO radio. And uh, as we get back to discussing this article, uh, which we actually haven't read anything from yet, but we, we are having great discussion and setting up two lines. Out of context. Well, you did. You did read that. I I apologize. Uh, That that is true. Uh, But uh, I think it's very good that we set up this foundation of what we are discussing here and what we aren't discussing. And that's definitely where we were in the first half of the show. And certainly the Lutherans agree that order is good. And we should have order in the church. First Corinthians 14:40 teaches us this, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That's how life in the church is carried out. And we certainly also agree with scripture that the pastoral office is indeed instituted by Christ himself. And so that is the office called to teach and preach and administer the sacraments for the sake of good order when gathered together as the church. And yet there have been times, most especially at the time of the Reformation, which this article is really focusing towards, about how how does that order play out? What constitutes that order then? How, how do we have the order to become a pastor and trust that our pastor has the authority uh, to, to do this work that he has been called to do. Uh, another time that it definitely has come up in history, especially for the Lutheran Church, is at the beginning of our own church body, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, when these pastors and lay people had left their churches in Germany, came across the ocean, settled in Perry County, Missouri, and across the river here in southern Illinois where I am, and indeed other places as well, there became questions. You know, our pastors left their calls. They were called to those places in Germany, and they had the right call to preach, teach, and administer the sacraments there. But they left their calls. They abandoned their calls. And so what gives them the right to do so here in the United States in the colonies that we have set up in the places that we have set up. And so there was certainly this, this uh, you know, kind of fear, and there were other things tied in with what was going on there again. One of the greatest works to come out of that uh, instance when it came up for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was by a great theologian who you hear referenced on this show by myself quite a good bit. Is he going to say first president. I think he's going to say Walther. Yeah. Is it Walther? I'm, I'm saying Walther. Walther. It Absolutely. is. Oh, High five. I was going for Winnikin. 
Ferdinand Wilhelm Walther, <laughs> the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and also the seminary. But he does have this great work, Church and Ministry, in the German Kirche und Amt, right? And he's literally laying out what constitutes the church, what makes the church, and he has several theses on that. And then he also has theses on the ministry. What's the right order for the ministry? How, how do we have the ministry? And so we've been talking about these sorts of things about, you know, uh, the, the pastoral office and what gives that authority. And then we also have, you know, discussed that that's not really the focus of this article, and yet it's obviously tied in here. And so I want to read just a section from Theses 1 on concerning the holy ministry from uh, Walther's work here on uh, concerning the holy ministry. Um, and, and it goes like this. Here, then, we are again assured that a Christian does not only have the right and authority to teach the word of God, but also that he is duty-bound to do so at the peril of losing his soul and God's grace. You may say, but how, if he has not been called to do so, as you yourself have often taught, he dare not preach? This, I reply, here you must place a Christian in two places— First, if he is where there are no Christians, he needs no other call than that he is a Christian, inwardly called by God and anointed. There he owes it to the erring heathen or non-Christian to preach and teach them the gospel, moved by Christian love, even though no Christian has called him to do so. Thus St. Stephen did, as we are told in Acts 7, 1-53, though the apostles had not entrusted him with the office of preaching, yet he preached and performed great miracles among the people." So also did Philip, the deacon, Stephen's partner, though also to him the ministry had not been entrusted. So also did Apollos. In such cases, a Christian out of Christian love has compassion on the distress of the poor, perverted souls, and does not wait until he receives a command or letter from a prince or bishop for necessity, ignores all laws and recognizes no law. Hence, Christian love makes it only it, it makes it one's duty to help where otherwise there is no one who helps or should help. In the second place, if he, the Christian, is where there are other Christians who have the same power and right as he, he should not put himself forward, but let others call and put him forth so that he might preach and teach in the place and at the command of others. And this then ends Walther thus far, Walther. But uh, uh, I, I think what he's setting up here is, is that we all do have the call to preach and teach. We are all a part of the priesthood of all believers, and yet also we do agree with Scripture that there is a special office called for the purpose of when the believers gather together, and we call that the office of holy ministry, the pastoral office, that is given the authority to preach and teach and administer the sacraments when the gathering of believers comes together. And so this is... uh, kind of what's behind this, then the question becomes, how then does one have that call when the believers are gathered together? This is where the order in the church becomes an issue. And as we briefly mentioned, and and we'll need to get back into this more, what it's really about here when we get to the Apology of the Augsburg Confession about order in the church is that what Rome had been teaching— According to canon law, they had canonical orders that talked about apostolic succession. That is, that uh, the apostles gathered together uh, a group of bishops, and they blessed them. They, they, they laid the office of ministry upon them, and so then those bishops would lay it upon others, and they were given the ability to 
ordain ministers to this office instituted by Christ. And so it had become the teaching, it had become a human institution that you had to have this apostolic succession, that the bishops would would then um, ordain other bishops and other pastors, and that this must be passed on down from the apostles. That's what apostolic succession is. Yet the Lutherans are pushing back against this. And I think we do have the context of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession to say this is what's really at stake here. This is what the rightly called is all about. What constitutes that right call is not apostolic succession. And it's all about who's under authority to do this. And I think we should spend a little bit more time talking about where that authority comes from. If we take, at least as Walther writes about this in, in off of the Office of Holy Ministry, that authority comes first from the Word of God, and indeed we would uphold that for our pastors still today. But then also, what's that order as it's gathered together in human institutions? Go ahead, brothers. I talked for a while, but I was just making up for all that time in the first half of the show <laughs> when you guys talked. When we didn't let you put in a word edgewise. Yeah. Excellent. Go ahead. <clears throat> Well, I, I think this is where where we have to be careful that we're not in, importing our own context. I mean, this is where it's difficult for me because – so that was my – actually, that was going to be my question for you guys. As, as Walther is writing, is he running the danger of doing theology – maybe this is a – I'm going to get in trouble for this question. I don't know. Is Here, let he, me push your cough drop button. Yeah, but uh, will silence me while I ask it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can feel better and you won't get in trouble. <laughs> Great. Um, but is is he running the risk of doing theology in order to justify the situation in which he finds himself? I'm not saying he is, but that's part of the question is if I develop my doctrine of of, of anything based on here's what my current practice is, or here's the position I am forced into, or here's the position that has been forced upon me, I, I have no other option other than to do it this way. That that's, that's, for me, the concern in my own theology as I'm, as I'm attempting to figure things out. But even here, as, as Walther is saying what he's saying, that was the first question that popped into my mind. I'm not saying he's wrong. I actually... Don't don't know either way because I don't know Walther well enough. I haven't studied him. So good thing we have an expert on the show. Hey, there we go. <laughs> but so so that's my question. You know, is is this a theology and an attempt to justify the situation he's in and of which he has no no other option anyways? Well, I mean, there's so many times that we can look in our lives and realize that uh, we look to Scripture for answers of how to live and how to how to you know answer questions of practical life you know mm -hmm. i mean and that's that's why it's wonderful when we go to a bible study that's just going through a book of the bible because then we don't necessarily run the risk of saying here's this answer that we want let's find some verses that will make us feel better you know but instead we look at a book of the bible we start going through it and it might help help us uh help shape us and form our thoughts on a specific topic um but we aren't running as into that but i mean there's so many times that we can we can run into a situation and look to scripture to find what how to how to handle it you know so i think we need to be careful that we're not just cherry picking and making sure to look <laughs> at the the passages that we want to look at to yeah. see if we can uh get it to say what we want it to say you know that walther and all of them are in this horrible situation they're trying to figure out what to do and it's like 
you know, there's not this one verse that's like, and if you ever leave a call, you shall not ever be a pastor again. It's like, ah, we'll leave if that one aside. If you ever leave a call you know, and like, send your bishop across the river so you have no bishop anymore, here's how this works. Yeah. <laughs> what Bible verse is that? Right. I don't know what Bible verse that is. Yeah. So I, I think the but, cont- but, but also we, we want to avoid um trying to go to the Bible to find like, Every, you know, I talk to people so oftentimes they're like, well, you don't have every answer in the Bible. Like, what house should I buy? The Bible doesn't tell you. It's like, that's not what the Bible's for. Like, the Bible is the revealed <laughs> right. will of God and the, 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 the story of, of Christ. Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's all about Jesus, you know, so it's not going to be about, but you might look to scripture and see, you know, a proverb about being wise with your decisions and, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing. So you, you definitely see those, but that's not why we read scripture to have the, uh, um, the, to, to find those types of things. But we have always, we always have, my, my point was just going to be, we always have to be careful that we're, we're actually taking in all of scripture and not just trying to manipulate it to make yeah. us feel comfortable about something that we really shouldn't have done. <laughs> so, so let's run with that then. If this is actually supposed to be about Jesus, and I, I believe that it is, well, let, let's look at the context then. Our current context, I, I was kind of writing some notes here, comparing the different contexts. Now, Walther, and, you know, the re- times of the Reformation right now, in our current context, we have this attitude within large portions of the church that anybody can be a pastor. You basically just have a, need an internal call. Maybe you need some education. Maybe you don't. But the bottom line is just about anybody can walk up into that pulpit and, and do the job. I'm doing air quotes here. That's how, how they view them. it. Okay, excellent. Then you have Walther's context, and all of this in the context of they're bringing, that's the question they're bringing to this article. So here's the person saying anybody can be a pastor. They come to this article and say, well, no, you have to be, they bring it, here, here it is. It's straight up. This is what it says. Then you have Walther. Here's our situation. We don't have a bishop anymore. We've abandoned our calls. How does this work? Then you have Martin Luther where they're saying apostolic succession is the way Luther and Melanchthon say, that's great, but we can't do that and confess what you want us to confess. Ultimately, if all of this is about Jesus, well, what's what's actually at stake if if we say anybody can preach, anybody can be a pastor, just go up there and do your thing? If this is about Jesus, the actual issue is my my trust. Who am, who am I trusting? How do I trust that the person, the man who is preaching to me, who is forgiving my sins, is actually giving me God's word, is actually giving me Jesus. Because really the bottom line is, as the layman sitting in the pew, hearing that my sins are forgiven, what I need is to know that 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 man is there because Jesus put him there to speak those words to me, and it is Christ's forgiveness to me. Kind of forget that sometimes as we're working through this, mm-hmm. Pastor and, Smith. And I think you also, well, I think you have to take it back again to where where do we have that assurance when anyone is talking about Scripture, and it's that we also have to exercise discernment for ourselves, and and we also have to be familiar with Scripture ourselves mm-hmm. so that we can know when. Whoever's talking is running afoul of what Scripture clearly teaches. Now, I think the 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 order, the human institution of order, comes in in this sense that we recognize that not all are given the gift of discernment, and I think we can agree with Scripture that it is a gift that not everyone necessarily has. We're all called to do it to some level, but it's just not going to be executed by everyone. So, for the sake of the simple, it is helpful for the church 
to have a in human institution that uh, is put in place as a safeguard for them to say, you can trust this guy because he is being held to account and given this authority by this order. Right, and I and think he's that been that's properly the, prepared. Whatever that right, means, yeah, right, properly prepared and things. And so I think what we have to do is back up to actually Luther's situation. <laughs> so they leave the church because of the false teachings, and actually they're kicked out, they're excommunicated, and they refuse to teach what the bishops, according to apostolic succession, are telling them that they have to do. And they say that's not a right use of your authority. You're running a follow scripture, and we've pointed to that many times as we've gone through the. The Book of Concord here. And so what we have to ask then is, where did Rome get their human institution of what the proper order is? And here I would say that even as we don't cite scripture for what our order is and what we have adopted and used, um, Again, we cite scripture that there should be the pastoral office and things, but we're not citing scripture for an order because there's no scripture that talks about it. There's no scripture that says that you have to have this apostolic succession. It must be passed on. What is certainly clear is that it must be the faith as taught by the apostles and as they learned it from Christ himself. That is clear. That is important. Um, but there's no scripture passages that tell us of that direct order. And so I think you you ask a helpful question of, are you simply trying to wrestle with a, a difficult situation and so forth and say, uh, well, how, how do, you know, are we just trying to justify the fact that we're in this difficult situation, that our pastors have been excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church, or that our pastors, because of the abuses that were going on in Germany, left and came to the United States and have set up, you know, a new church body over here and, and, and are wrestling with those issues, and so we're just trying to, to say, oh, no, it's okay because of these reasons. No, I think they're doing what we're always allowed to do when we have uh, a place for prudential judgment. You know, Scripture does not clearly give us out the how this is to be done, but we know that it is to be done, and it's good that it is done. It is good to have order. It is good for the sake of the simple that they they be able to trust the man that is preaching to them and know that he's under authority and others are checking and being helpful to those, those simple folks uh, who are not able to discern as well that what is being taught to them, what is being preached to them, and that the, uh, the sacraments are ministered to them all in a faithful way. And so there we have the human institution of what we've set it up set it up as, is that we generally encourage, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we encourage people that we see, hey, it looks like you have some gifts. You might be a good pastor. Let's encourage you to go to seminary, where you can be trained. And then as you go through seminary, you are constantly evaluated, and they, you know, certainly on grades, but also in interviews and other things. And, and then even out in the ministry, once you have been called, ordained, and installed uh, into the Office of Holy Ministry, this is the place of circuit visitors, and this is the place of our district presidents and brothers as we gather together for circuit meetings and so forth, is that we're checking one another um, and, and making sure that what we're doing is being done faithfully and according to good order so that there may be unity in the church. And if we're going to change that order, I guess we have the ability to do so. But again, we should always do so with great wisdom uh, and, and say we're, we're trying to consider the simple. Layman Slayton, go ahead. Well, I, I think that's a, a helpful 
explanation and distinction. And it also helps us understand, well, it helps us avoid falling off the other side of the horse. So before the break, I, I had mentioned that I think this is actually a place where it fits in, where as we recognize the limits of here's what scripture says, now here is what we are doing as human institutions to be faithful to scripture and to provide that comfort for the burdened consciences, for the people who need this office, we have to be careful that we don't go too far to a point where we are then saying, well, my Baptist brother over there, because he doesn't order his call in the same way that we do, therefore, he doesn't have a pastor. And and that is a tendency that, depending on how we argue this issue, Logically, that is a place where you could very easily end up. And I, and I do see this with all the time I spend on social media <laughs> uh, occurring in, in, in Lutheran groups on occasion where we argue because we're passionate. So for myself, coming from that evangelical background, because I'm so passionate about the office of the ministry and upholding it because of what it is and what Scripture says and what it gives to me and how it actually points me to Jesus and gives me Jesus – I have to be very careful not to argue so far to where I define the office of the ministry in such a way that no other denomination can actually have it, which ironically is what the adversaries, the Roman Catholics, were actually doing in this case. It sounds like they're saying, look, you didn't follow the apostolic succession, therefore you don't even have pastors. You got nothing. That That's it. And so we can actually end up doing the exact same thing in our current context while trying to argue for a rightly ordered call. We argue ourselves into a corner where we're now doing the same thing the Roman Catholics did and say nobody else has pastors except us. It sounds almost like you're saying that you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain or something. <laughs> but that's only if I was thinking of Batman or something. Right. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> Comic books have good metaphors sometimes. Yeah. No, Except I, but, we're the only ones who get them. So. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike my VeggieTales episode two weeks ago. Or whatever. Yeah. No, um, but that, that point of going too far onto the other end, um, you know, the, there's so often times that people... Uh, don't want to acknowledge any order because it sounds like there's too much strictness. You know, mm -hmm. like anyone should be able to do it. There, there's too much, um, uh, uh, too many rules and regulations, and you know all that kind of stuff. And but and they rightfully recognize some of those are man-made. Right, right, and that's, and that's true. And they think man-made, therefore bad thing. So, right. No, that's not the case necessarily. Well, and that's and that's where it's so funny. Is like uh, um, there's one church body that had a. Uh, there, the whole origin of it was to be able to say we should not have any rules that divide us. And so in doing so, then people were coming and they're like, oh, good, because I don't think Jesus is God. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We, <laughs> we do have to have that one. We do have to have that one. you know. And so like, okay, because I believe in three guys. No, no, no. Well, actually, no, we do need to have Trinity in there. And so you end up getting these this r list of rules that, okay, you do have to believe these things, but we don't want any rules separating us. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, you know, that's, that's, it's that's like you're saying doctrine divides yeah, in some way. Right. And it's, that's it's actually a good thing. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, when we talk about this type of stuff, uh, to your 
point. I mean, uh, we we want the office of the ministry to be upheld because it is such a gift and it's it's a thing that gives us peace, right? Yeah. And yet it's all centering around Christ and what is being taught, not just a matter of, well, the right guy laid the right hand on the right shoulder at the right time and said the right words. You know, it's what's being taught. What's and therefore, magic. You're a pastor. Yeah. Ta-da. You know, <laughs> um, and that, and that, that's that's where it does become a problem. But trying to separate out what is right order in a human way versus what is Scripture teaching us that we need to make sure that we're abiding by, because far too often, um, like you said, people just oh, it's not in the Bible, so we'll throw it out as they throw out a whole bunch of stuff scripture does say and put in a whole bunch of stuff man says. Well, at the same (laughs) time, not overstating our case and claiming that our view is what the Bible actually says. So even when we have biblical support and for good order and how we do things and we can say, look, here's what scripture says. So we're trying to be faithful to scripture. We do have to be careful that we don't take that next step if it's unwarranted and say, therefore, that's what scripture says. Mm -hmm. Back to my point about here's how we do things in the LCMS. We have agreed to do things in this certain way, and let's stick to that way. But let's also be honest and say, this is how we've agreed to do things in the LCMS. Scripture doesn't doesn't lay this out and require everybody to therefore do it this way. And if things need to change, let's discuss it and discuss why and what change. Yeah. Why is that trying to be done? Well, you know, what's what, the, what abuses are going on that we need to correct? Right, exactly. And yeah. and so it's all it, you know. I, oftentimes we talk about the adi offer thing, neither commanded nor denied, but that doesn't mean nothing's important. That doesn't it mean means, anything goes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I have to make pastor ill proud and just make that point that that doesn't mean anything goes. It means yeah, let's discuss this and talk about how we. Uh, um, engage in this discussion to come onto the right, uh, to, to be on the same page about it. Yeah. I mean, he could articulate it much better and stuff, but um, at least have to make that point. Should we let Pastor and, and we Smith use, talk now? I don't think yeah. so. Nah. How's your day been going? <laughs> <laughs> we do use good order um, or, or good u- reason when we come up with this order, too. I think, yeah. I think we can all agree the system that we have in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, especially as upheld um, just recently at the last um, uh, Senate convention, uh, is a good order and, and something that we're very proud of. Our pastors are well-trained, and we should have every bit of confidence um, that they are prepared to go on there. Uh, but I think part of this understanding of order, too, is, again— the, the the authority is derived from the truth of God's word. And that's the irony of what's going on here is that we're taking a look, the Lutherans are, at the Roman Catholic Church and saying, you have run so foul of, of scripture in terms of what you're teaching that now you're unfaithful to God's word. And so that order needs to be abandoned um, just simply for that. And because the, the, the real thing that we need to do is preserve truth. And I think, you know, unfortunately, with just one minute left, I, I also want to give this kind of idea, uh, because in case anyone's out there listening and they say, well, you have a layman on your show teaching, right? Yeah, and he's good not, point. <laughs> yeah, by the way, get <laughs> out. Oh. Yeah. Again, it, it's, it's the understanding of the under authority thing. And this is the thing our culture doesn't like is that we're under authority. But this is true. I mean, this is Melanchthon himself is a layman writing this. And so in a sense, he's teaching us, right? Um, but 
He was under the authority of Luther and the other Lutheran pastors uh, who were working with him and making sure together in a group that things are faithful. In terms of our show, right, as host, I'm responsible for those I have on my panel, right? And so I can be held accountable for anything that you guys say. Sorry. And guess what? I'm going to get Sean a- fired today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm held accountable even as a pastor, not just to the truth of God's word, which is obviously the prime thing overall for all of us, but also I'm held accountable to those at KFU, Andy Bates, right, uh, as well as there at the Senate office. And it's just the way the way the world honestly works. That authority is a good thing. It promotes good order for the church. And we always want to maintain that. So that way it is a benefit to the church. I want to highlight what Pastor or uh, Layman Slayton rather uh, highlighted earlier. Our greatest desire is to keep church orders and ranks, even though they may be made by human authority. This is a blessing to us. So, confessors out there, thank you for stopping by today as we have had this discussion that you may know, you may trust that uh, what constitutes good order is the truth of God's word. We ask you to tune back in again. Until next time, keep confessing, church. Church.